As we start the first Sunday of uh, Lent this week, I really pray that we all uh, experience a deeper love of God. And I pray that this Lent uh, doesn't become a ritualistic observation, but a relational celebration of God's redemptive love for us. We, uh, some of us, suspend some uh, pleasant activities. And I don't want to say this. Uh, the reason we do a certain kind of a personal uh, fasting, whatever form and shape, it's not so much of a, those things that make us holier than other times or others, but it just reminds us more about the Christ suffering love for us. That's all. So actually, my family, somebody told me to give up coffee because I, you know, I love coffee, but without coffee, I cannot function. So I couldn't give up the coffee. So I give up some other things. So don't be so extreme. Do something that daily reminder for you to think about Christ suffering love. That's all. Now, in order for us to have a meaningful Lenten uh, season, let me ask you two basic questions for us to understand uh, God's love for us. What is a Lent? Anyone knows the meaning of what is a Lent means? Lent means spring in Old English. And uh, in Spanish or Latin, it's a quaresima, quaresima. And then other, you know, Chinese and Koreans and Japanese, they all talk about similar idea about quaresima or sasunjol, which means, in Korean means uh, 40 days of obedience. It's, it came from the 40 days of uh, Jesus fasting and fighting in the wilderness against the Satan. And that's how he started the public ministry. So Lent simply means a spring. Just a spring brings a light back to all the uh, dormant in a vegetation, we pray this Lenten season spark our love for Christ and Christ's love for us. Now, in order to make a, a Lent, Lent 2020 meaningful, I want to focus on very important part of a Christian life called the discipleship. This term discipleship is a term that many Christians use very loosely just as another Christianese or Christian cliche without a clear understanding. So let me ask you, what is a disciple? In Greek word, the word disciple is mathetes, mathetes, which came from the verb uh, mantano, 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 which means a study or learn. So disciple means somebody who study, somebody who learn, student and learner. And back then, you don't just, when you want to study something, you go to the master and you became an apprentice of the master. That's how you became a certain craftsman or professional. So disciple of Jesus Christ means somebody who come to Jesus and study Jesus and learn from Jesus so that you become like a Jesus. That is uh, what it means to be a disciple. So being a Christian is uh, more than just attending Sunday service. It starts with a Sunday service, but it's much more. You know that, by the way, the word disciple 
That's how early Christians or New Testament Christians were called each other. The word disciple appeared 274 times in New Testament, whereas the word Christian appeared only three times. Actually, the first time the word Christian appeared in Acts chapter 12, 11, verse 26, it was a pejorative term from those uh, non-believers making fun of uh, Christians. So disciples are original word. By the way, I, uh, during the Lent, you want to read uh, some good Christian book on this uh, topic of uh, discipleship, uh, which debunks uh, our superficial notion of popular Christian life. Um, I recommend a book called, I mean, some of you know, is that uh, Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Not a Fan, but Becoming a Completely Committed Follower of Jesus. It's very easy to read, and it has uh, many thoughtful uh, challenges. In there, uh, Pastor Kyle Eidelman said this, the biggest threat to the church today is the fans who call themselves self Christians and actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus, get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Many have made a decision to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow Jesus. Talking about fans are those who are very content believing Jesus as a savior, but they don't want to make a Jesus as the Lord. And uh, Pastor Kyle Eidelman once again said, my concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being a sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week, all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus, but have no interest in truly following him. The bigger threat to church today is the fans who call themselves Christians, but are actually interested in, in following Christ. So next five weeks, we'll study the meaning of a discipleship. So our series will be Discipleship, Call to Follow Jesus. It's really my prayer that we not only believe in Jesus, we follow him. You know why we need to follow him? Every time we follow Jesus, guess what you will find? You will find how much he loves you. And this love is a true and good, more powerful than anything you can ever imagine. You will confess that Jesus loves me more than I love myself. In his hand, my life is meaningful and productive and fruitful. And I can be what I am hoped to be. That's why we follow Jesus. So today, in our first study about discipleship, we'll see Jesus calling Peter to follow him. And today's story revolves around fishing. It's about the seasoned fisherman making a surprise catch that changed his life forever. So our text comes from Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, and the less reader responsibly. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Are you ready? Let me read first. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, by the way, Luke is the only one who called the uh, Lake of Galilee or Sea of Galilee a Gennesaret. Uh, side point, a small uh, end no footnote is this. Luke is a, it's not a Jew. He's a Gentile, only Gentile writer. And, but he's a, he's a physician, and he's a scientist. So when he wrote the gospel, he did research. 
And in that area, the Sea of Galilee was called sometimes uh, Sea of Tiber Tiberius Sea. Those who want to brown those uh, Roman emperor, they called the sea, you know, named the lake after the emperor. But the local people called that Lake Gennesaret because they across the lake, that area called the Gennesaret. So he is using local term. It simply means he is a very good researcher. Okay, so we're getting a very accurate uh, story. People were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Simon answered, Master, we work hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the net. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats, and so full they began to sink. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. Together, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Today's title is The Surprise Catch. They changed our life. In this story, we're going to look at, the, we find the three fishermen. Persistent fishermen, perplexed fishermen, and productive fishermen. Three fishermen, okay? So I just give you the, uh, the, the easy 3P outline so you, will, you can get the handle out of the story. The surprise catch of a life for Peter came today because of persistent reaching out of Jesus. Persistent reaching out Jesus. Peter's encounter with Jesus in today's story was not the first time he met Jesus. Peter met Jesus few times before today. For instance, according to John chapter 1, verse 40 to 42, let me just read. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John the Baptist said, that this is the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world upon his shoulder. Who followed him? The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John? you will be called Cephas, which means translated in Peter. Cephas in Aramaic, Peter is a Greek. And later, in, according to John 2, Peter, along with the first disciples of Jesus, such as James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel, they went to wedding feast in Cana, and there they saw first miracle of Jesus. And then Luke chapter 4, verse 38 to 44, Immediate story before our story today. The last story of Luke chapter 4, before our story today, our text today. 
Jesus preached. Ah, uh, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. And there, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from high fever. They asked Jesus to help her, so she bent over her and rebuked the fever. It left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on him, wait on them. At sunset, people brought to Jesus all who had various sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one of them, healed them. Even a lot of demons came out. So, Simon, he had a he met Jesus several times. By the way, mother-in-law means what? He is married. First Pope of Roman Catholic Church is married disciple. Please. Tell your Roman Catholic friends and see whether they know that. <laughs> One time I said that they don't believe me. So I said, in the Bible. Anyway. The point is Simon already met Jesus and saw many miracles of Jesus, including the supernatural healing of his mother-in-law. He might have already believed in Jesus, but notice this. He has not become a disciple until today's surprise catch. It was a Jesus' persistence reaching out to Peter that he eventually, today, he was wheeled in and caught into discipleship. And I want to tell you this. Jesus is not satisfied you just believing in him. Jesus will persistently come after each one of us so that we will be, until we become a fully devoted disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. And also, that's my intention to you. I'm not content to having you on Sunday. My prayer is that you participate in our house church, house church fellowship and ministry weekdays, and also, you know, other, all kinds of Bible studies in Good Shepherd College. Now, today, if you look at the verse 3, uh, verse 1 to 3, large crowd came to listen to Jesus' teaching. And the Jesus had to kind of uh, create a safe kind of uh, uh, speaking venue. So he created a natural amphitheater by taking a boat and the people sitting in the shore. And he's uh, teaching or preaching from the shore. And he intentionally got into whose boat? Peter's boat. There are two boats, but he intentionally got into Peter's boat. So Peter had no choice but sit together with Jesus and had to listen to the entire teaching of Jesus. Here, Jesus was making Peter his captive audience. Using fishing metaphor, Jesus hooked Peter. Now, he's reeling him. I'm not a fisherman. Anybody is a fisherman? Let me see. Who is a you know, a uh, passionate fisherman. We don't have any fishermen in our church? Oh, okay. I don't know. I cannot say praise God, but that's good. <laughs> I, you know, one thing I know about fishermen is that uh, they, you know, anytime there's a fishing trip, they don't care whether it's 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, they got most excited. I mean, you know, I know pastors who are fishermen, they might miss Sunday. I mean, they miss an early morning prayer meeting, but they never miss a you know fishing trip. So I know, I know because one of them is my family members. So I know. You know, fishermen said there are five different types of reeling. I don't know. 
Straight reeling, straight and slow reeling, stop and go reeling, twitch reeling, drop and lift reeling. I don't know which technique Jesus used, but it has been long reeling in. And there are two groups of people uh, coming into the kingdom of God. Some people almost walking into the kingdom of God. They find God and the gospel of Jesus Christ natural and reasonable, like my sister, who received Christ without any resistance and joined the church. You know, later when I asked my sister how she became a Christian, she said she always believed in God, and when her friends invited her to the church, she felt it's about right time. I couldn't believe it, because, you know, when we were growing up in South Korea, my father was a math teacher and an educator, and then he was not a Christian, but would you believe it? He gave us a whatever dollar uh, each Sunday and sent all three of his children to the church, children's Sunday school. Why? He noticed that those uh, uh, church kids, they are socially more apt and they are more articulate. So as an educator, my father sent us to the church to develop social skills. And when he came back from the church, my father made all three of us sit together and then pray. And then he evaluated our <laughs> prayer, how articulately we pray. You know, I just, you know, I just, well, I, I, so I, my prayer is more like a monkey, you know, mimicking pastor. But my sister told me that she really prayed out of her heart. I couldn't believe it. But on the other hand, the other group of people, they don't walk into the kingdom of God. They have to be won. They have to be conquered. They have to be hooked. And then, you name it, not just once, couple hooks, and then several people have to reel in. That's me. You know, from young age, I really, you know, I'm a born Kantian. Some of you remember Kant that I talked about two weeks ago? You know, whatever my five senses don't detect, I don't believe it. So whatever people talk about God that I cannot see, I cannot hear, I cannot smell, I cannot touch, I thought it was an invention of a weak-minded people called Christians. So someone like me, and then I look at the world, life is unfair. You know, authority, I always had a problem with authority because authority was not good. I don't have a good experience of authority. Educators, they are corrupt, just like you know, my father. Received a bribe. I saw parents bring a bribe to the house. So I, there he is. You know? So I always thought the world, the world is not right. Therefore, if there is a God, he's not right either. Of course, if God would not make a world like this, so I didn't believe. So somebody like me, it took a two years of a serious, serious brain wrestling. And also, some of you heard my testimony, or will hear later in this year, about the sacrificial witness of a, a, a foreign Christian lady and also family bankruptcy. That cost me. That's how I came. I was reeled in to the kingdom of God. Point that I want to make here is this. Some biblical commentators say the crux of today's story is to present Peter's response to Jesus' call of discipleship as the ideal response of true followers in contrast to many large crowds who came to listen to Jesus. Yeah, I get that. You know, crowd never changed the world. It is always a core committed people change the world. So 
But as you will see, I don't think you know, Peter is an ideal exemplary you know, disciple here today. The real exemplary story here is a Jesus persistent, patient fishing for you and me. He's reaching out. That's what inspired me. That's what I'm grateful. That's why I'm here. And that's why you are here. Now, second point about the perplexed fishermen. Through, through that, I want to talk about the so-called uh, experience of a personal reckoning. This miraculous catch or surprise catch, that it happened through personal reckoning. So let's continue with the story. Verse 4, when Jesus finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for catch. Simon answered, Master, we work hard all night and caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When Jesus told Peter that let's go fish in the deep side of the lake, this was a very difficult command. Very, very difficult command. And I just want to make a one, uh, another very important side point is this. When you follow God, you will receive a lot of difficult, almost absurd, and impossible commands to obey. Bible is full of God's absurd command. Look at Noah. You know, if you read a book of Genesis, God told Noah to build another small boat, an ark, for 120 years. And until then, Noah built an ark and the flood happened, there was no mention of raining. It didn't rain. Bible doesn't, I don't know whether it rained, but Bible doesn't mention about raining. Some Christian creation scientists, they bring an elaborate reason why, you know, earth could survive without rain. But the point is, there is no, so Noah built an ark. And people, neighbors said, what are you doing? He said, God said that there will be rain. What is the rain? It's coming from. What about the Joshua? First, you know, a uh, 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 fortress to conquer. God said what? What kind of weapon did he give? Nothing. Walk around the Jericho once a day, seven times, seven days. Well, some again, some Christians say, oh, that was a sonic weapon. Too much, too much TV, I think. Jesus is not different. John chapter 2, when they ran out of the wine, Jesus said, fill up the jar of water. John chapter 9, Born blind man asked Jesus to him, what did Jesus do? He made a mud pie with a dirty saliva and smeared his face and now go and wash a new one. Do you think it's that simple? He would... Our God in the Bible asked all kind of absurd command. So Hudson Taylor, a great missionary to China, he said this, in exploration of God's will, if there is no element of risk, there is no point of a faith. When you follow God, there will be always a risk involved. So let's, see, let's, let's find out why this command about fishing in deep side or deep end of a lake was difficult for Peter to obey. Usually, fishing in Sea of Galilee was done at nighttime. That's what Peter said. We worked all night. The reason for that is the nets they used were made of linen and which were visible to fish during the day. 
So fishermen, they usually, uh, uh, they fish at nighttime, bring the uh, light, and then they kind of did some, kind of uh, gather the curious you know, fish, and maybe spread a little bit of uh, fish food on top of the water, and then gather them. And then taking advantage of their weak night vision, they throw the net and catch them. And second reason it was a hard command is that uh, this kind of fishing involves uh, several people, two or three. So Peter has to call his companion to help him. It's not just a solo. If it's not just a solo fishing like this, it's a net they have to work together, and they work all night. How many of you do night shift? Working at night. We have some nurses here. <coughs> night shift. When Jamie was a night shift nurse. She, she lost her weight. She was like a, you know, chopstick. I felt really bad. Back in seminary, I, I was a security guard in my seminary. At the beginning, I got the worship, 2 a.m. to 6, 6, 6 a.m. And I was guarding in the entrance of our seminary and the bar shack. I supposed to read and check. But a few times, I fell asleep. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I mean, not intentionally, but I fell asleep. And then, and then my, my thinking is this, who's going to come and rob the seminary? <laughs> what do we have? I'm sorry, maybe some, you know, uh, uh, and they even most people are married. And the sisters, the single sisters that I know, I already checked, they're not that attractive. <laughs> they, are, they are not known for beauty, they are known for inner beauty. So instead, you know, I was in Garshek, you know, and nobody, rarely people come that time. So I fell asleep. And I was reported a few times. <laughs> Whoever this rotten people, they reported, you know, this a poor seminarian, struggling seminarian. And then you know what? Nothing happened to me. Because admin said, so what? <laughs> what happened? We, did we lose something? You know, nothing. Night shift is a hard work. Peter said he and his companion, they work all night, they are dog tired, they're ready to go home for rest. Now starting the work all over at the most unproductive time of the day was more than difficult. And plus, Jesus said, let's go farther over there. That means a deep end, they have to roll. Imagine the face of uh, his companion rowing. And the most professional fishermen know their spot. And I bet this is not a spot that Peter knew there is a fish. And uh, so... When Peter said, Master, we work hard all night and haven't caught anything, you know, he was telling Jesus simply this. Thank you for your thoughtfulness for us. I know you tried to, you know, uh, pay for this, uh, you know, renting my boat, but seriously, you don't have to pay. It's our free service to you and your ministry. I'm glad to, you know, assist your incredible teaching ministry. Now let's just go home and have a breakfast and rest. You know, some days are good for fishing, some days are not. So, you know, we don't catch any fish. It's, it's, it's okay. This is one of those days. Yes, I grew up here. I know. I know here. So let's go home. That's what he's saying. But when Peter, while he was saying this, and look at the Jesus' face, I bet he recognized Jesus' face was a resolute. He's not budging. He was waiting Peter to obey. And this is when Peter said, Okay, 
we work all day, all night, and we cut nothing, and then blank, we are tired, you know, all body language. But because you say so, I'll let down the net. I like the, actually, King James Version translation on this verse, because King James has a more literal translation. Instead of, uh, because you say so, at, nevertheless, at thy word, nevertheless, at thy word. Isn't it beautiful, the word expression? Nevertheless, at thy word, I will obey. So, I, you know, uh, I saw beautiful sermons with these expressions. You know, even though I'm tired, even though I don't believe, but at thy words, you know. Do you think Peter was actually expressing, uh, you know, his obedience? You know what, Peter? Peter, when he said, because at thy word, I will do it. This is not, there is no single confidence in Peter when he said that. Peter was obeying here, not because he thought it was going to work, but simply because if it doesn't work, it's you. <laughs> Jesus, you're the one responsible. I'm sorry, you are about to eat up your own work. You should stay your teaching, preaching business. Fishing business is not your business. You know. So, because, look at the Peter's reaction when they caught a lot of fish. When they, you know, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nest began to break. So they signaled their partners to come and help them. Verse 8, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knee and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You know, when Peter has this uh, surprise catch, this uh, incredible you know, success or unexpected business boon, Peter was not all positive and jovial, but he was rather appalled and shocked, right? He had a full, he literally, he wasn't happy, he was horrified. And he knelt before Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Leave from me, I mean, depart from me. That tells you something that Peter didn't obey without any confidence. Peter was a very, very sarcastic and skeptical. He was scratching his head. Why, why do why? you? Know. And lo and behold, he was shocked that Jesus' word is true in every way, not just in teaching, not just in religious matters, even mundane business matters, such as fishing. When Jesus says so, it will be so. Peter knew this catching is a different and unprecedented. Peter saw many, many surprise catch, many successful fishing in this lake, but he knew this is a different. He knew that Jesus was not being just lucky. He knew that Jesus is the Lord of everything, including fish. The way that fishes come, this, you know, fish that Peter, so-called, you know, uh, even if you, um, even today, when you go to Sea of Galilee, I've been there, you know, there is a, you, actually, the tourists, we eat the, uh, Peter's fish, small, you know, like a tilapia kind of fish. They just fry it, and you just do the lemon, lemon, and then, you know, any fried fish tastes good. Especially, uh, yeah, tastes good. Especially with a particular drink, it's really good. <laughs> and uh, 
what Peter was saying here is that Jesus depart from me for I am a sinful man. You know what Peter is saying? Jesus, you are God. He recognized the divine presence in his boat. That's what Peter is saying. This is not a, a one human being telling another human being. You know, if I tell Han, Han, I'm a, such a sinner. You know what Han will say? Pastor Paul, so am I. I'm surprised actually you said so. Wish you know, nothing surprised. This is not what we're just telling each other, we, you know, we're confessing our sins in the house church. No. You're talking about Peter recognizing he is in the presence of a holy God. He thought this rabbi who, 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 who understands scripture so well and the incredible wisdom to teach us is actually Lord of everything, even fishes obey, even fish obey. That's when he realized that, oh my goodness, I'm in before divine person. This, is, this reminds us of the old story of a book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Do you remember when King Uzziah died and Isaiah was worried about his you know, future, so his country, so where did he go? He went to temple to pray, right? But in temple, what did happen? He saw the God, holy presence, actual, he had an epiphany that God and the holy throne with the seraphim and cherubim and then all this divine presence, he had a direct you know, experience of divine presence. What did he say? He's in temple. That's where God is. He shouldn't be expect. He shouldn't be surprised. But when he saw real God in the temple of God, he was so scared. And he immediately realized that, what to me? I'm ruined. I'm man of our unclean lips. You know, when you, when you stand before God, you will immediately know that you are a sinner. His holy presence will tell us that I'm not uh, okay. People who don't know God, haven't met God, they don't know they are sinners. But people who met God, they are sinners. Point is this. Peter learned a lot about I mean, Peter was Peter has been taught by Jesus about scripture. Today, just, you know, just, a, just a minute ago, he heard the full several hours of a wonderful Bible teaching. He were, he, Peter was taught a lot. But he, today, he was caught. You know the difference between being taught and caught? You know, in ours, you can learn a lot about God and God's heart. You have to catch. Your heart must be caught by God's heart. That's when transformation happens. That's what Cornerstone Bible Study is about. I pray the Cornerstone Bible study, you will not just be taught, you will be caught. You will be caught in God's you know, amazing love. So what happening here is, Peter, is this. This, when Peter realized one area of his life, he thought he knew better than Jesus. He realized that, my goodness, there is a no area limited to Jesus. Every area of my life, he does it better. He knows better. He can handle better. 
He's not lucky. He's the Lord of everything. That's what personal reckoning. In a way, Jesus caught Peter in his uh, turf. This a big stubborn fish called Peter was cut in his own profession. I just want to share a quick testimony about my brother. This is my elder brother came to know Christ. When we became a Christian in uh, Caracas, Venezuela, my sister was the first one, and that, I mean, she, she is already a believer. She shared the gospel. My mom became a, received Christ, and I followed. And then we told my brother to also receive Christ, and he said, no, he cannot be a Christian, because at the time, we were in the clothing business. And uh, he says he's in charge of sales. He said, in order to sell, I have to exaggerate, I have to lie. How can I lie and then be a Christian? That is an excuse. He doesn't want, he likes to party, he likes to drink and smoke. That's what he wants. He wants to continue, so that was a perfect excuse. So my mom and I said, okay, we're going to fast until you believe. So when he saw us uh, fasting, he kind of uh, felt bad that I said, okay, okay, you guys eat. I'll believe. And then we said, then you have to fast with us. Show us that you are really sincere. And so one time he was fasting with us. And did you know, try fasting without believing. It's so painful. So at the end of the day, he lost his temper. And I remember throwing the, you know, whatever, and then stormed out. Now, a few months later, finally became a Christian. He received Christ. And then later he told me how that happened. So every time his business was a corner, hit the brick wall, he prayed to God, God save me this time, solve my business problem, I believe you. And then God saved it, and then he says, all right, what a lucky coincidence. He denied God three times. And fourth time, what happened was, we were small uh, uh, clothing makers. So every time we have all money, we buy all the textile, we cut, and we sell. If it doesn't get sold, business falls. Cash flow is a very, we don't have a money to make a second. If, a, if it doesn't sold, we have to close the shop, and we lose everything. So one, the fourth time, he tried to sell, but he couldn't sell in the capital city of Caracas. So he, once again, he decided to go to interior city, thousand, thousand in a kilometer away in big industrial city in Amazon area. And there, you know, he's trying to sell. He went there, and he'd been there before, and before he you know, sold okay. This time he went there, lo and behold, there was a bad businessman waiting for my brother. These are Arab, Arab businessmen, Arab Venezuelan businessmen. He told my, he asked my brother, "Do you have a permit to sell all these clothes?" <laughs> my brother doesn't know much. We don't. We've been living that country only one year, so what permit? I said, "You need to have a legal permit, otherwise it's illegal." And then he have a corrupt police. He called police, and this guy doesn't have a permit, and police said. Well, we have to confiscate everything until you get the permit. And who knows what happened to the all, you know, that the truck water of the all the merchants. So it's not only failed to sell, he's about to lose everything. In the meantime, what happened was in our house, in our main factory, we got a two visitors 
from that same city thought my brother was uh, just a salesman and then you know, he somehow got the information about our factory, came to our main factory that he could buy everything much cheaper. So even though my mom and I, I mean, I'm so I came and attended this person, these two businessmen and they said, well, you know, we want to buy a large quantity. We want to buy everything you have. It's good product. We're gonna, you know. So what's your price? I don't know much about price. I vaguely remember the price I quote is uh, about 50% more than the wholesale price my brother is selling. And guess what? These people wrote us the full check. We got the money without a merchandise. <laughs> and my brother got the merchandise down there. So from that point, and then we call him, he doesn't answer the call. I mean, back then there's no cell phone, it's a hotel. We couldn't call him. So my mom and I, we start fasting again. Lord, please help him not to sell any peace. Please, please. So we are praying, fasting, that he will come home with all the merchandise. And my brother was so scared of that, he, that, uh, that is very criminal, you know, businessman, that uh, over there in the middle of night, he and the truck driver drove the entire truck and then came to Venice, uh, came to Caracas. And then, so next day, night, he knocked on the door and then he came. His face was long. And my brother told me that, he, at the time, he believed God was punishing him because he didn't obey God three times. So fourth time it happened, he knew that it was God. <laughs> but the, God's intention was punishing him because he didn't keep the promise. So when he came home, and then my mom, and then we said, did you sell anything? And said, oh, no, I didn't say nothing. And we said, hallelujah. And then, you know, we show him the check. And that's how my brother became a Christian. And that's how he, he said, you know, he does a lot of mission work in Venezuela. He doesn't have to live in this dangerous country. He's there only for the mission. Now, point is this. This is what happened to Peter. Let me go to the conclusion and the last point. I already... So final point is that Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus gave Peter the greatest and most glorious command of all, on promise of all. From now on, you will not just catch these small fishes, you will catch souls. You will catch people. The word catching is a soul grain, means a catching alive. You will make a people not just a catching on using it, but you will make a people alive. And uh, here, the large number, actually Peter the Galilean fisherman, as you know, he became the most productive evangelist, most prolific spiritual fisherman in the Bible. You know, actually, Peter's event preaching saved more people than anybody in the New Testament. If you look at Acts chapter 2, he saved 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 4, 5,000. Even Jesus and Paul never saved that many people. And the word that many people believe is the same word that Luke used in the here, plethora, plethora, from which we get the English, English word plethora. So when Jesus caught many fish through Peter, Jesus was prophetically telling Peter, Peter, don't be surprised with this great catch. You will make a greater catch than all this. You will not just make a, you will make a, just a little wealthy or you will be the 
reaches into eternity. Now, what is a more precious than so? No, I heard people nowadays they really like a Tesla. There might be, uh, you know, FTC, Forest Tesla Club. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is that Tesla is more precious than so? Of course. Okay, I'm not, I'm not envious. Okay, I'm. I'm the point is, you know, one lost soul is what is Jesus came for. That's what we learn in Cornerstone and Luke chapter 15. What is more important than the human soul? Those of you who watch the uh, Schindler's List, do you remember the last scene of Schindler's List? The Jewish people gathered together and they want to thank Schindler and Schindler said, any compassion man would do what I did? And they said, no. Our Talmud said, you save one soul, you save whole world. I will say this, when we save one soul, we save actually God's broken heart. I want to close uh, uh, this about saving soul. I want our church to be a return to the basic Jesus command to save the soul and make a disciples of everyone. And I want to tell you a sad story. Right now in South Korea, the coronavirus 19 is becoming pandemic. But do you know there's a one group of people are so excited about this you know, crisis? Guess who? Victims of a cold church called the Shincheonji Yesu Gyoe or New Heaven and Earth Jesus Church. Because 80%, almost 80% of all infected people came from this church, which located in, in Daegu, they had a mission work in uh, Wuhan, and then they came back and they have a secret meeting, and this is how, out of the 3,000, last count was 3,500, more than 3,000 is from this group of people. And uh, they believe incredibly unbelievable stuff. But anyway, point is, there are a lot of their membership. I didn't know their membership is almost a quarter million. Their membership is over two hundred forty thousand, and then they still not sure whether there's a full you know list. And then many families in South Korea lost their family members to this cult, and their brainwashing. And I read a story of a father. This father's story, I it resonated with me because he, his daughter who, when she was 18, she was, fell into that cult. She dropped the school. They haven't seen her for eight years. As a father, guess what? He quit the job, looking for her, trying to, anytime there's a rumor about somebody saw her, he's going there. There is a large group of, you know, the, the so-called coalition of victims of a new heaven and earth, Jesus Church. Can you believe it? They are really now excited that because before they told government to help us, nobody helped them. But now because the cult group is associated with a, uh, with a virus, government is now cracking down and they say, please arrest the head guy, the head of the cult group, and then put him in the jail and then break them down and make them illegal so that our children, my daughter, will return our family. So finding the lost people 
It means so much to this father. Can you imagine the father of all, our God? That's the mission that Paul, I mean Peter received. And that's how Peter became a great fisherman of all. I pray, Forrest, we receive God's call for mission, God's call for disciples. We follow Jesus, and we put people above everything else, and we serve God.